Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Now, there are lots of different types of stories out there. We've, I've had short story authors, novelists, spoken word artists, and just a wide variety of different types of story tellers have been on the show. And I'm really excited because our guest tonight is actually a different type and style of storyteller, but I'm very excited to have him on. And I should just mention that my daughter is a huge fan of one of the shows that he plays in on Broadway. And so we'll probably be talking a little bit about that as we move forward. So my guest today was born in Scotland as Ian Middleton. He's been acting on stage since childhood and continued to work in theater after graduating from Mount View Academy of Theater Arts. His breakthrough ro role was of Boy George in the 2002 West End production of George's autobiographical musical Taboo, for which he received a Laurence Olivier Award nomination. In 2003, the musical moved to Broadway, where Morton, our, my uh, guest today, um, Ewan Morton, earned a Tony Award, Drama Desk Award, Outer Critics Circle, and Drama League Award nominations. His other theater credits include musicals such as The Who's Tommy Chess Parade, for which he won a Helen Hayes Award, um, and of course, most recently, Hamilton, as well as plays such as Measure for Pleasure and um, The Gentleman of Verona. He read a number of audiobooks, including three of Christopher Moore's novels, and voiced the male Sith Inquisitor in the MMO game Star Wars The Old Republic. He's released several albums, Nuclear in 2006 and Caledonia, The Homecoming in 2011. He is married to theater producer Lee Armitage, and, the, and their son is the theater critic and actor Ian Armitage. So, Ewan, thanks for joining me today. Hi, yeah, thanks very much for having me. You make me sound like a genius. <laughs> I was uh, reading a bio one time, and I got done, and uh, whoever I was introducing said, that is, the, that is the kindest introduction I've ever written <laughs> and you're like oh okay <laughs> yes it is it's certainly it's certainly the most uh, full <laughs> <laughs> exactly well um as we were talking about before we started recording uh right now you're in the middle of uh, doing some recording at a studio but also part of hamilton which is on broadway and um we just wish you and all of the cast well i i know you mentioned that uh, you have to take a break because of some COVID outbreaks and Sure. We just we just hope that everything uh, you know gets back to normal as soon as possible. Yeah, it's such a shame actually because it just was feeling like there was this sort of return to the joyful experience that we'd been having two years ago. It was just sort of getting there again. People were sort of settling in, and and then we all have to say goodbye again. So I guess wow. we just never know what's around the corner. I know we have to keep pivoting you know, one direction and another direction. And, uh, right. mm -hmm. but, um, but uh, I was thinking a little bit of how ironic a little bit it is that you're on the show because everyone who knows me would say, Steve, you don't like musicals. Like you're not like the biggest <laughs> fan of musicals. Now I, my wife's name is Liesl 
And it's from The Sound of Music. Sound of Music. Yes, very good. And so, yeah, her parents named her after one of the um, the, ch- the daughters, you know, in The Sound of Music, Liesl. And so, of course, she always wants to watch The Sound of Music, usually in the holiday season, like we're in right now. And I find, I, I often find some other excuse, <laughs> some other obligation that I just can't seem to watch the show again and again. But um but they're all excited that I'm, I'm I'm chatting with you today, and um, it's fun to talk to, um, to someone who comes from story from a little bit different perspective, from acting and singing, and and um, and instead of necessarily writing like many of my guests have, and and so I was just curious as you have you know made a living um, as uh, uh, you know on Broadway and with other plays and shows, well, what are some of the things that make for a strong Broadway show is it about the music or a combo of story and music what do you have you seen that's really been the most powerful draw for audiences well I just want to go back to a point you made earlier you, you had not liking musicals <laughs> and oh no we'll start there uh, no 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 no, no. I, I bring that up because I listen to a lot of um like radio plays like I love Doctor Who I've been a fan of Doctor Who all my life Oh, sure. And they have a they have a lot of radio plays, uh, so you can and all the actors playing different roles and stuff. But I actually don't enjoy listening to audiobooks. So so even although I do them all the time, I never get an audiobook and listen to one in the car. I don't like listening to one person's voice read the book for me. I'd rather read it myself. <laughs> um, so it's very it's very weird, isn't it? It's, it's not to say that it's it's a very valuable uh, craft, but it's not something I do often. So I totally get you not like musical and you are <laughs> Um, I think, I mean, I think they say that in a musical, the reason people burst into song is because the emotion has sort of reached its apogee. Mm. And that's what it, it cannot be said. It must be sung. It has reached that. It's so much love or so much, whatever the song is about, so much of that emotion that it has to be sung and not spoken. I think that's sort of where musicals. Uh, that's cool. Why, like I've why, never heard that song. before, but that's kind of neat. Uh, um, yeah, because otherwise, why do people burst into song? Look, I mean, <laughs> I hear I hear people singing and dancing in New York all the time. I hear them on the subway. I hear them on the, now that people are wearing a lot more headphones and listening along. There's a lot more live performance going on in New uh-huh, York sure. for men for men in business suits and mad old ladies. <laughs> and uh, so, I think life is becoming more of a song and dance. As, as to your question, though, as to why a Broadway what a Broadway show what a Broadway musical. I think it just needs to maintain its truth. I think it has to have, obviously, like any story, it has to have a story that's exciting enough to tell. It doesn't have to be anything different from a great play or a great book or a great audio story. It has to have conflict. It has to have character. It has to have all the things everything else has to have. But more than anything else, it has to have truth. Because as you said, it can seem a little trite to have people singing songs, you know, in the middle of this place, suddenly they all burst into a song. It can seem a little weird sometimes too. As long as there's truth in why they are singing and in what they are singing and in the dialogue of the song, I think that's what makes a musical work. And it's also what can kill a musical if there isn't enough mm. reason to sing, if there isn't enough truth in the song. That's uh, a couple of things came to mind when you were talking. First of all, when you mentioned that idea about how- having to sing because you've reached the point where it's the most honest response to, to, to what's happening on stage. That's really interesting. And I like that. It, yeah, it like made that me, too. yeah, it made me think of a story that I heard about a dancer 
uh, and the dancer did this amazing uh, program. And afterwards, uh, a gentleman walked over to the dancer. He said, man, that just really was powerful. It really moved me to watch that dance. And he said, I just have one question. What did it mean? And the dancer <laughs> said, if I could tell you what it meant, I wouldn't have had to dance it. Right. And I just, I love that just a little anecdote, that little story, because it's about the power of, well, in that case of movement, but also I think it's the same for a poem or, or a play or, or whatever it is. Like, or if I just painting. tell you, yeah. I was saying even a painting, you, the, uh, the, the painter is not standing next to the painting telling you what it means. If it's hanging in a gallery, you're going to put your own story on this painting. Mm -hmm. You're going to say, you know, there's a, of course, now that we're talking, I'm completely blanking on the name of it, but it's a painting of New York in the industrial era, uh, uh, the big factories. And it just means something to me it's so deep and so meaningful. I've got no idea whether the author was painting it uh, or the author, whether the painter was painting mm -hmm. it to, yeah. show, to show some some beauty in it. And it doesn't matter. It's what I interpret the story to be. So, yeah, I totally agree. Poetry, whatever it is, interpretation is a huge part of story. Yeah, and you can't just summarize, you know, a great story. Uh, I think it was uh, Flannery O'Connor who said that a story is a way to say something that cannot be said any other way, and it takes every word of the story to say what the meaning is. And she was talking about uh, if you can separate the theme from a story, she said you can be sure it's not a very good story. It's just so interesting because, like, I grew up going to English classes and so on where they're like, what's the theme of this story? And Flannery O'Connor would have said, if you can state it, it's not a good story. You need right. to experience the story. And when you do, it moves you, hopefully. And, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, it's true about, about shows on Broadway or, or, or dance shows or, or anything. So, yeah, that's really interesting. I like that. So do, do you think then that story changes the, according to the listener, according to the audience? Well, I, I mean, in my view, um, audience and story, uh, especially like in spoken word story, when you have a storyteller, very often the best storytellers that I think and the best comedians and so on are responsive to the listeners so that whenever they're performing or doing their, their, their bits, they're, it's almost like a dance between them and the audience, you know, and they see how the audience is responding. They're like, okay, I, they like that part. I'm going to come back and, and do that a little bit more. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and so I kind of like seeing that now in some cases like in yours basically i mean it's scripted out you're not going to necessarily uh, improvise and so but it's been shaped oh i would say you know in front of audiences for a long time that's actually a good question when when people are writing plays or or musicals do do you guys typically have like a lot of i guess dry runs in front of audiences and then adapt and change stuff the timing the phrasing, things like that, as as uh, shows are being written. Yeah, as they're being written. Yeah, we have a lot. We have a lot less involvement. Um, usually, there'll be a workshop process where mm. they'll employ actors, and uh, they'll they'll have a reading perhaps in the early days, and then a short uh, table read or a workshop process. Some of those can be two weeks long, some of them can be mm. five weeks long, and they'll investigate their writing. But the thing about a Broadway show is that most of those shows have a period of um, uh, oh goodness! What do they call them? I'm having a complete mental breakdown. <laughs> uh, you know when they have they have this period of practice period. You can 
you can uh, rehearsals and so on like that. You know? Well, no, no, no. It goes live to the audience. It's still you can buy your tickets. It's just like seeing the play, oh, but wow. it's not considered open yet. Ah, and that gives you two weeks. Like it previews. It's called previews. Previews, yeah. Be two weeks of previews, five weeks of previews, a month. Some shows these days get two months of previews. Wow. And inside that period, the show can change. The show can be altered. They can change audiences there. They're getting reactions. They can cut things, add things. Once the show is open, then it's also frozen. Mm, you can't make yeah. changes anymore. So I, I suppose that's also why the preview periods are getting longer because people want more chance to change it and make it perfect. Hmm. Shows are so expensive now. Yeah. You don't want to be frozen in two weeks and find out the audience isn't enjoying it. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that's true. That's a good point. And um, earlier when you were chatting about, um, you know, story and musicals and, and Broadway and so on, you mentioned, you know, a couple of things, character and conflict that uh, lie at the root of all stories. And, um, you know, I love that um, that that came up from your perspective, not necessarily me saying, oh, <laughs> do you like characters and plot or conflict or whatever, mm -hmm. but, but that it's so natural to you because um, you're involved in this world of, of shaping and telling and uh, performing stories. And, it, you know, I think that people identify with a character when they have the same desire or struggle as that character. Um, and so like when we, uh, meet a character on stage who is lonely, we, we understand, or who is grieving or who maybe just wants freedom to express themselves. Um, then we can identify with them and we're like, that's not just the story that's happening in front of me. That's also the story that's happening inside of me. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Now, is your family involved as as well? I know that um, that uh, in, the, in the intro in the I mentioned your, what's that? My my mother and father and stuff. Oh, I was just curious. I think in the intro, as I mentioned, your your wife and your son are involved as well. With, with yeah, they, they yeah, but I think they are certainly. But I also think that's for me. It's interesting that this podcast is about story because it's very hard to limit story. Mm, yeah, that's nice. I mean, you know, you can be in a bar and meet a stranger and the stranger can tell you about their day and it can be the most boring story you've ever heard <laughs> in your life. And you're like, what? I'm so bored by this story. But you can meet a different stranger who has had a similar day and be fascinated by their story because story is, doesn't exist on its own. It requires a storyteller. It requires a listener. We are all facets of what makes story important. So, yes, my family is involved in telling stories in a certain way. And we have other friends who, you know, in other industries who tell story in a certain way. You do. Your friend Pam tells story in her writing. Um, but I think it's important to remember that story isn't elite. Mm. Story isn't writing a book. That's not a story. That's telling a story in a certain way, and that's wonderful, and the author has a story. But that's not story. It doesn't encapsulate story. Story is in the voices of everyone that we meet. There's a lady on the subway today who is completely messed up with her head down around her knees and her matted dreadlocks and a piece of newspaper to her feet in absolute silence. And yet she told a story that was so loud this hmm. morning, so sad, a sadness that I put on that story. So for me, 
I'm constantly bombarded by stories. I live in New York City, for goodness sake. Everyone has them. And I don't uh, hold a monopoly on story. And neither do I believe that authors hold monopolies on stories or, or that you can only tell a story if you've lived a certain way or had a certain life. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah we're, we, we are all... You know, storytellers and some people like to, you know, tell a, sh- a story to their friends around the water cooler at, at work. Some mm-hmm. other people like being on stage, you know, in front of a mm-hmm. thousand people and doing their stories in that way. And so I think there's a spectrum, you know, and, and of where we're most comfortable sharing and being a part of stories. But um, uh, yes, that's but, true. Uh, yeah. But also the stories that I, tell, I mean, I'm not telling my story. No. I, yeah. You're not telling your personal story, but you're trying to capture the essence of what the author in that sense has has shared and and to do it in a with emotional resonance to to the audience. That's very true. You and that's I suppose another facet of interpretation hmm. is oh, yeah. I'm I am given words to say. These are not my words. If I was standing on a stage on my own, I would not be telling this story. This is not my story. Yeah. But I have, it's my job, but it's also my hobby, you know, I'm <laughs> given someone else, even the same as audio work, I'm given someone else's words, someone else's story, and I have to interpret that story, I have to find a way to extrapolate from that uh, something that an audience will understand and therefore relate to, and then I give it to them. So I guess I'm kind of like um, one of the... You know, I guess you would the the Greek oracle or the Pope. I'm <laughs> there like you the Pope. are, Delphi, the oracle of <laughs> Delphi. <middle> <laughs> yeah, it's like this sort of middleman thing, being an actor, where where you are clearly you have your own story, you have a life in theater, you have a story to tell, but at the same time you are interpreting other people's stories. And there's sort of this whole duality going on of what my story really is. Yeah, I was um, I was thinking when you said, you know, you meet a stranger at a bar, they tell you about their life, their day, and, and you might be engaged, you might not be. I wonder what what would you say is it that would make the second story m- more powerful or engaging? Do you think it's just in the way the story's told or in the way that uh, you know the um the person identifies with the uh the one telling or sharing his story? Uh, yeah, I think I think that I think that we can never remove the storyteller yeah. from any from any aspect of our lives. And some people are better at telling stories than others. Yeah. Some people are more natural at, at just saying what happened to them in the day. Or uh, you know, some people I think to tell a story well, you have to be willing to repeat the emotions of the story mm-hmm. every time you tell it. And you also have to have had the emotion to tell oh, a story. Yeah. Um I think when you hear a boring story from a person, it doesn't mean that the person is boring, although that's sometimes what they're accused of. <laughs> it just means that they're not telling something that they're emotionally truthful in. Huh. You can always find a true story somewhere, but some people are boring at it because they are not willing or not able to tell the truth of the emotion in either the story they're telling or even in the own story. That is that is powerful insight, and I, I totally agree. And you know, finding that um, those emotionally resonant moments 
Well, you know, I was reading one book on on storytelling and like uh, the lady who wrote it was was on the show uh, here. I'm trying, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but but she said, never tell a story about a holiday because holidays, nobody wants to hear about your holiday or your vacation. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, why would she say that? But I think it's it's because, you know, very often all it is is a list of events that occur and is not necessarily the emotional connection to it it's not really anything transformative it's just we did this and then we did this and and i can kind of see where she's coming from also that's kind of story um uh, is it's the sort of thing where the person telling the story is 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 interpreting it that based on what they're seeing in your face. Are you enjoying mm-hmm. it? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. you'll have to forgive me for one second because my phone has just announced its own death. Let's plug it in. Mm-hmm. Now we've been talking, um, you know, about emotional resonance and truth within the stories, authenticity and, and all these things. And um, I just really like everything that you've been, you know, sharing with, with us. And, um, I, I, have never been to Scotland, but mm. I've been to Northern Ireland, uh, to teach writing. I was there, uh, a couple of years ago for about a couple, maybe two weeks or so. And, um, and it may be the same. I don't know for sure, but, but almost every night we would go to the pubs and, uh, people would bring instruments and just start singing and telling stories. And it would go on for hours uh, at night. And um, I, it was just so wonderful for, for me just to sit there and listen. And then, of course, one night came and they said, do you want to tell a story? Because we'd been there for several nights. And I was like, I don't know what story to tell at a pub in Northern Ireland. But <laughs> I finally <laughs> came up. about your holiday. I know. I know. Right. And I'm like, I'm, I'm overthinking things. In the, but anyway, no, but that was fun. And, and, um, and it was just a, a fascinating part of the culture there just story was central to community. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's so true. And they've managed to hold on to that, which is what makes it so exciting and, and unique and thrilling, especially for outsiders, which of course you were in that situation. It's it's a really thrilling way of looking at life, but it, that's true everywhere. I mean, you know, uh, Native Americans are still telling stories everywhere. There's African stories are everywhere. There's um, Arabic stories. It's just that our modern Western lives have moved away from story. Mm. We don't sit around. You know, now we go to bars just to get wasted mm. because there's so much to avoid. Yeah. And it's the avoidance of story now. It's the avoidance of truth telling. It's the avoidance of actually sharing something meaningful with a stranger in a bar uh, that marks us out as different. That is very insightful that you would pinpoint that. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, And so, of course, one of the goals of our show is to encourage people to share their stories, whether they write them or they share them with their kids, or maybe they, you know, share them at a corporate board meeting or something, but because so much human interaction and so much connection, as you just mentioned, cultures all over the world have this deep connection that happens very often through the stories and the vulnerability and authenticity within the stories that we tell. Yes. And also remember in Ireland, 
Scotland, in Native, in the Native American tribes, in the Aboriginal tribes, in African countries, certain African countries, uh, in 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 Latino Latina culture, um, these are people who have a deep connection to the land mm. that has fed them, that has given them the stories that they tell. When you live in New York City. There's no connection to the land. Uh, Most of us uh, don't come from here. Most of us yeah. are Irish or Italian. The stories that you're told are in the Irish bars with the same Irish people that you're describing in Ireland. <laughs> you know, it's not, these are not American stories. And I think it's, I think that's what's really lacking here. And I think it's partly to do with, um, well, not being used to it, not really having a connection to the land like more mm. traditional cultures do. Um, but I also think it's partly to do with the fact that people aren't honest with each other. Look, if you don't when you hear a story about some guy's holiday, it shouldn't be rude or insulting to say, hey, listen, Jim, I really want to hear about this part of your day. I really want to hear about, is there a way that you would be able to share? I'm not really, that's not really a story for me. I don't, you tell it, tell that in another place because I know you in this way, I want to hear that story. Mm. If we were more honest about the stories that we were receiving, then huh. perhaps we'd have a lot more honest stories to listen to. But we just, how many people do you know go, oh my, Mary went on and on this afternoon uh. about this thing she done. <laughs> it was so awful. And, but you let her, you, we, I don't take enough pride in our little story orb that lives inside us. We don't take enough pride in our in what we hear and in what we compute. We just allow ourselves to be bombarded by nonsense every single day. If you could take control of what you were willing to hear. Now, I don't mean limiting yourself to the news that fits in with your beliefs. Hmm. I mean, actually, emotionally open yourselves to the story that, that, that you're prepared for. You might not have to listen to as much rubbish and you might be much more connected to the land and to your neighbours and the people around you. You might care a little more. It's really easy not to care when all you hear is nonsense. Hmm. No, that's, that's good and it's true. And actually, when, when you were... Um, you know, talking about that, it made me think of this uh, story <laughs> that, I, that I heard about. Some... It better be not boring. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a village in the story. Of course, there's a village, but it was in Africa. And some aid workers came and basically all the people in the village would just sit around every night and listen to the storyteller at the fire. And so anyway, somehow they brought, they were able to get some televisions or, or something where they could get a couple of stations and they dropped them off. And so at first, everybody went to go watch these televisions. But about three weeks later, when the aid workers returned, everyone was sitting around the campfire, just listening to the storyteller again. And they said, well, what are you, what are you doing? The, the television knows so many stories. And the yeah. people in the village said, yes, but the storyteller knows me. And mm, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, and and it it's so true about the authenticity yeah. and the the connection that we have and that we feel through powerful stories. Yes, it's very true. That's beautiful as well. Well, I know that you have lots of obligations coming up and going on, and um, and I wanted to just uh, before we close up, 
So basically, see, do you have any encouragement for anyone out there who's like, look, I'm not an actor. I'm not a great singer or whatever. I just want to tell a better story to my friends at the water cooler or to my wife or my kids or, or anything like that. Now, I know you mentioned, you know, we've talked about honesty and authenticity, also character and conflict. And mm-hmm. would you have any other thoughts or encouragements for people out there who are like, yeah, I just want to tell a story, a deeper, more, more powerful, more poignant story? Well, I would say something that I was, someone said to me at the beginning of rehearsals, we were working with uh, some like, uh, like yoga, Pilates, doing all this stuff at the beginning of the rehearsal period when we returned to Broadway. And uh, the lady was, our teacher was saying, look, here's the thing about story. Here's the thing about what you share with people. Three questions you should ask yourself. Question one is, does this need to be said? Question two, does this need to be said by me? And question three, does this need to be said right now? Yeah. That's what I would say about the story. I like it. I like it. And I think we'll close with those (laughs) words of advice. No, that's I borrowed them from someone else, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, uh, I, my friend works at Disney, and uh, I think he said that they have what they call the three buckets, which, which they'll say, why this, why you, why now? And it's almost the exact same thing that your instructor shared with you. Um, and that's uh, another universal tale then? Yeah, I don't know. You know, um, I, I interviewed someone who was a producer for the X-Files, also Buff, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Battlestar Galactica. And, Anyway, I asked him, I said, now, when, when someone comes to pitch a new show for you, what's the most important thing you're looking for? And of course, I'm thinking he's going to say it's different than anything else. It's new. It's cutting edge or I don't know, whatever, something like that. But instead, you know what he said? He's like, why are you the one to tell me this story? I was like, really? Yeah. He's like, I want to know why you're the right one to tell this story to this audience so that passion behind it and that personal connection this does wonder so um, yeah i think that's really right i really re- that resonates with me you and thanks so much for your time and for um nice. sneaking away from the project that you're in the middle of right now and sharing with us at this holiday season some insights on a story and storytelling and uh, we want people to you know come out and watch hamilton and also as soon <laughs> as they can do so safely and and so on. So we really, I really, I really do wish you the best with this, um, this, year, you. this year's season show and so on. And also I just um, want to thank my listeners, everyone for tuning in. Uh, just mentioned that we are going to take two weeks off from the story blender over the holidays. Happy blessed holidays to you, whatever holidays it is that you celebrate. Uh, we just wish you all the best for a wonderful start to a new year. Um, for more information about our other guests and to check out our other interviews, you can search for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or click to thestoryblender.com. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts on Friday evenings. Tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember, the art of the story is all in the bland. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>